Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Peter chapter 1, as we've just begun a brand new study in the book of 2 Peter. And here we're going to pick up where we left off. We're actually, we're going, to, we're going to pick up right at the beginning of the chapter again, as it has been a couple weeks since we've been there. And the Bible study tonight is entitled, Diligently Add to Your Faith. Diligently Add to Your Faith. Verse 1, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a like precious faith with us by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which you've been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And we'll pause there. A few years after writing his first letter, Peter follows up by writing this one. So there's been a gap of time between the two, and now he is writing this one to the same group. Remember in verse 1 uh, of chapter of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, remember he identified the audience. We, we know who he's writing to, and we know the time that he's writing to, but in verse 1 it says, Peter, this is chapter 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims, and you can write next to that if you haven't already, wanderers, to the wanderers of the dispersion. This refers to the persecution that's taking place to them. So they, they went through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia and Bithynia. Remember, Roman, Empire, Roman Emperor Nero sets fire to Rome at this time, and he chooses to blame the Christians for it. And instead of putting out the fires, he ordered that they continue to burn and burn. And as they burned, 500,000 plus Christians are used as scapegoats. He does the dirty deed, and the Christians get blamed for it. The citizens become enraged at their neighbors and their friends. Their fellow, those that are Christians, maybe not fellow Christians, but their neighbors and those that they work with, those that they hang around with. And as they're enraged, the Christians began a torturous time of pain and suffering. And the persecution is spreading. So these believers are scattered and they're hurting and afflicted. They're oppressed. They have the government turning against them. And now things have changed a little where not only do they have outside, and I mean, it's one thing, isn't it? We looked at this last time, but it's one thing to have all this outside persecution, but on top of that, now there is inside. There are defectors. There are those that have turned on the Lord, and you know, anytime someone turns on the Lord, you pay for it, and so do I. Somebody gets mad at the Lord, they have to take it out on someone. They, they can't take it out on God. I mean, they might verbally do that, but they have to have an outlet for that anger, an outlet for that frustration, an outlet for the, the, the flesh in their life. And you and I are the ones 
That's why the Bible says, that's why the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against those things that are coming against the knowledge of God, the spiritual realm. But the way it's lived out is individually. It is between us. But if it brings any comfort to you, I think it should. Just remember, be in, be in prayer for those that you're at odds with right now because, yeah, they might have an issue with you, and it might be a real issue, but the real issue is with God. Because when you and I are seeking the Lord together, the Bible says when my ways please the Lord, he'll make even enemies be at peace with us. And we don't need to participate and make things worse. You just wait on the Lord, allowing him to do the work. So what the believers do is they run for their lives. But as they're running for their lives, you get tired, you get frustrated, and now there are defections, there are false teachers. I might have introduced it last time, but I, I like this saying, I don't remember where I picked it up from, but I like this saying, it says that the devil loves to fish in troubled waters. He loves to stir things up, loves division, loves believers fighting, devouring one another, because while you're spending all this attention on one another, he comes in and starts to pick people off one by one by one. So notice, let's pick up where we left off last time in verse 3. It says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, through lust. The Bible is filled with exceedingly great and precious promises. Or as Peter says, exceedingly. Like they're amazingly wonderful. On every single page of the Bible, there are great promises that you can hold on to as a believer. That you can cling to. That you can look to. That you can embrace. Or even more so, a lost art among believers today is memorizing scripture, hiding God's word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. Knowing that, hey, maybe you don't remember the address of something, but you know the scripture, or you remember the principle, and it's there for the Holy Spirit to draw out for you when you don't have a word, when you don't know what to pray, then you don't know how to react to something. I mean, consider this. You're looking for help? Consider this verse, Psalm 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. How's that for a promise? You're in trouble today? Call upon me. God says, and I will help you, and I will deliver you. Are you looking for comfort today? Psalm 27, verse 10. When my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. God is the God of all comfort. Who what? Comforts us in all our tribulation. And you just drop it into your heart, drop it into your mind. You're looking for encouragement? Psalm 138, verse 8. It says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. Isn't it encouraging to know that God has brought you this far and he hasn't brought you this far to just drop you now? Say, okay, you're up at this point and this is about all I promised you. This is the day, this when, at, at 7.30 when service is over, or no, 7.30 service would not be over, at, at 8.30 service over, so at 8.30, that's it, that's when the contract ends. No, the Bible says, Paul even reminds us as, of this in Philippians, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. Until when? 
the day of Jesus Christ. All the way through, he's gonna take you all the way. You need forgiveness or you need to extend forgiveness? Psalm 86, verse five. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. You have someone that's not willing to forgive you? Come to the Lord, he's ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive you. Jesus Christ has paid the price for your sin and mine. He has removed the guilt and shame of your life and mine by faith. And he is ready to forgive. Are you ready to receive it? Are you ready today to receive the forgiveness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ? To surrender your life to Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says there is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved but the name Jesus. And he is ready to receive you and ready to forgive you if you are ready to repent and deny yourself taking up your cross and following him. Are you ready? Because he's ready. Every promise is true. There isn't a promise of God that isn't sure, that isn't steadfast, that isn't reliable or trustworthy. How about this one? Psalm 119, verse 89. You, you need to see this. You need to mark this. Turn over in your Bibles to Psalm 119. You've got to see this one. This is one of those little gems, one of those, those nuggets of the scripture that you must know. Notice 119, verse 89. It's kind of hidden in one of the longest or the longest chapter in the Psalms. And listen to what it says. This is so good. It says in Psalm 119, Verse 89, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We may have problems believing his word. We may have doubts. We may have concerns. But when our hearts get in tune with God and we trust him with our lives, his word is settled. God's just almost like waiting for you to agree with him that his word is settled, that his promises are sure and steadfast. And you come back to Peter, Peter would understand this. And I find it interesting, don't you, that in the midst of outward persecution, in the midst of inward defections, with all of this drama and difficulty surrounding the church, Peter doesn't give them a message on how to defend themselves. Peter doesn't give them a message how to attack. Peter doesn't have a message on how to get out of their circumstances. What does he do? He points them to the Lord. That's what he does. He says, you want, I know you got trouble. I know you have difficulties, but this is not a time to forget the precious promises of God. This is not a time to get your eyes off of him. This is not a time for you to quit. This is not a time for you to run. This is not a time for you to be distracted, for you to stumble along the way. No, instead, this is why you're to build your house on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ, because in him, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. All of them. And this is a time to stay steadfast. Notice not only that, but look what he says here in 2 Peter 1. Come back with me. It, it, this is such a great, another little hidden nugget here as you come to the end there. Let me get there with you. The end of <clears throat> verse 4. Uh, he says, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. In your life, by faith, this is amazing because they're in the world, they're surrounded by lust, they're men and women of flesh and humanity, but the word of God, the relationship with God, has you, you're able to be in the world but escape all of the sin of the world. And these guys are on the run. They've lost everything. 
They literally have nothing. They're being blamed for something. They're being blamed for the madness of the Roman emperor. And they have become partakers, I love this, of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. And there's something about the divine nature that helps us to escape the corruption. They can't be there. Light and darkness can't coexist. So as we have the living God dwelling in us in the presence of the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit, partaking, receiving a taste of eternity, living under the leadership of the Spirit of God, we also escape the corruption that's in the world through lust, but stay in the world. To me, it's a Bible study in and of itself. Would you turn over to James chapter 4? James speaks on a similar topic from a different perspective. James chapter 4, pick up in verse 1 with me. He says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Don't they come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's the answer to your troubling day today. That is the answer. Why is there so much battle and warring in yourself? Why does it heaven sound? Why, why does it seem like heaven is so silent? It's because you have become preeminent in your life once again. My, my thoughts, my desires, what I want has replaced what God wants in my life. And it's a battle, a spirit in the flesh. God reminds us that we're in this world, but we cannot be of it. And so the counsel of Jesus makes so much more sense, helping us to grow in grace and grow in his knowledge, knowing that it's his divine power that's given to us all things. It's his divine power. I know a lot of this is by way of review, but remember in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you. It can't be the other way. It's not the other way. Seeking all these things, fretting over these things, worrying about these things, trouble, warring over these things is not going to get us to the place of the kingdom of God. It's the other way around. The kingdom of God is his rulership in our life. It's his dominion, his authority, his way. It's not your way or the highway. It's his way. It's always his way. And it will always be his way. He's the creator of the universe. He's the sustainer of the universe. 
He is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's always him. We'll always be him. And we can thank him for his faithfulness in our lives. Jesus says the way to be freed from the corruption of us world is we've got to learn to live with new values, new goals, and new hopes. New values, goals, and hopes that are based upon eternity and the righteousness of God. And as we invest in eternity, God will take care of the things that are needed in this world, his way and not man's way. And you could say, I know it would be hard to tell the believers in Peter, I know it would be hard to tell the believers, but now looking back, and when we meet them in heaven, you can ask them, say, Ed said this, is it really true? And see what they say. But you can say, looking back now, that the believers that Peter was writing to needed this. They needed this disruption in their life to draw out a new way, a new way of relating to God. And you add, Ed, you're just making that up. I'm not. I'm not at all. Let me show you what I mean. Turn over to 2 Corinthians because Paul attests to this. Paul will get to this place where he looks back on his life and he says, I needed those trials. I needed them so much so that I glory in them. Turn over to 2 Corinthians with me and I will get there shortly. In 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, very familiar passage to us. Paul is asking for the thorn to be removed. God answers him no. And then he says that in verse 9, remember what he says? Uh, in your Bible, it's probably in red because Jesus is answering him, explaining to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then here's Paul. Paul's looking back on this. He's not writing this real time. He's looking back on it now. It's hard to say real time. I, I, I'll affirm that. It is very, you're in the worst time of your life right now. I'm not trying to discourage you by asking you to look to heaven for strength during this time. I'm trying to encourage you that God is still on the throne. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't turned his back upon you. And it's hard. And it could get even harder and more challenging. It can. But you're going to look back one day. You're going to be able to say with absolute certainty. You're going to be able to look at that. You know, it made me a better man. It made me a better dad. It made me a better mom. It made me a better leader. It made me a better, and you name, wherever God was improving in your life, to have this disruption, whether he sent it to you. I mean, think of the disciples when Jesus took them out on the boat and said, let's cross the other side. And you remember that there was waves, the, the storm came down. Do you think Jesus didn't know about that storm? Of course he knew about that storm. And they're going in and they're freaking out and they don't know what to do. But you ask them, again, ask them in heaven when you get there. You ask them. And if you go, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or not, well, be born again tonight. And you could talk to all these people in the Bible firsthand and ask them. You say, hey, man, remember that time about the storm? My pastor said that, that you look back on it and you were, you were happy for it. And they go, oh, yeah. But boy, were we scared. Oh, man, we didn't know what to do. I mean, here we are, perfect fishermen. We know how to fish. We know we've been on this story. We've been on this Sea of Galilee forever. And man, were we scared. And man, were we humbled. But man, was it good. It made us better fishers of men, right? Because you don't know what God's preparing you for. You don't know what's up ahead. That's why the enemy wants you to quit today. That's why he wants you to throw in the towel today. That's why he wants you to sign the divorce papers today. Why he wants you to go back to the bottle today. Because you don't know the future. And neither does the devil, but he knows your weakness. And he would love to take advantage of your weakness so you would quit today. So check this out. This is what Paul says, looking back. He looks back on this now. 
He's not writing it real time. His real time diary is probably really tough like the psalmist. But now he says, therefore, most gladly, listen, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boasting. That we don't boast in our infirmities. Amen? True? You boast in your infirmities? I, I don't boast in them. I'm not here yet. I'm not entirely sure if I'll ever get here, but I know it's a here that I can get to. I know it's up ahead. I don't know if I'll get there, but I know it's up ahead. If it's by the grace of God, he'll get me here. I don't boast, no. But there have been little pieces of my life where I can say, you know, the things that I've experienced, they've made me a better man. They've revealed things about my life that either I didn't know before or I didn't see or I didn't know needed spiritual attention. Uh, there have been deep channels of ministry carved into my heart that weren't there before. Uh, I've been able to see people differently. I've been able to minister to people differently. I, but I'm not in boasting yet. I'll boast in the Lord. I can do that, but I can't boast in my infirmities yet. But not only that, he says, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. So he came to the point where he could look back and go, man, that thing, that made me, and he could fill in the blanks. But now he also got to the place where he says, no, I'm, taking, I'm going to take pleasure in what I'm going through right now because I know it's going to bear fruit in the future. I don't even know what it's going to bear fruit, but I, I am so in tune. I am so in the kingdom of God, at least when he was writing this, because I don't think he's a perfect man. Read Romans 7. We know Paul wasn't a perfect man. So he's just so in tune with the, what the Lord's doing in his life. He goes, I'm taking pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake, because I've learned this. When I am weak, then I'm strong. I mean, that's the direction that God's taking you. But you can fight it. You can resist it. You can be in pride about it. You can complain about it. You can murmur. All the things that we respond to, and you're just delaying the inevitable. And the inevitable is God is going to show you his will for your life, and you can either cooperate with him or not. Make it easy or not. And you say, how can you make it easier? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up. How can you make it harder? Be prideful about it. Be mad about it. Be upset about it. Dig in your heels. Don't allow the spirit of God to lead you and guide you. And Peter's telling a group of people under great duress, hey, you know what? Of all the things that you can choose right now, let me tell you something. God is at work in your life. Don't neglect your spiritual life in times of difficulty. Not only, he tells them on top of that, verse five, so now he comes to the conclusion. He says, for this, also for this very reason. Well, what reason? Well, God's given us promises and he's helping us. Uh, we've been uh, partakers of the divine nature. And this isn't some weird thing, the partakers of the divine nature. I know those on television and false teachers will go, oh, you could become God. That's not, you're not God, you'll never be God. Thank God, you're not God. That's never going to happen. When you partake of the divine nature, it means God's developing you in your spiritual realm. He's making you more God-like, but you're not God. You never will be God, so stop saying it or stop thinking it or stop aspiring to it. It's just not from the Lord. The way up is actually down, trusting the Lord to fill you. Like you ask, you, you don't ask the Lord, I hope you don't when you're praying, fill, Lord, I'm just asking you to fill me with me. Fill me with more me. Uh, be ye filled with me. No, the Bible says be ye filled with the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't, don't, 
Don't live your life in such a way where you're in the flesh. You don't pray to be filled with you. And if you do come up after the service, we need to pray for you and lay hands on you. You either have been taught wrong and this is the first time you're ever hearing it, or you're just plain wrong and we need to pray for you so that you can grow. Because this is what you're to do. You ready? For this very reason, because you're partaking of the divine nature. Through that, you're escaping the corruption. You're in the world, not of the world. For this very reason, give all diligence. Now, if you like to write in your Bibles, circle this word right next to it, speed. It has the idea of doing something quickly and also has the idea of the word urge. There's a movement. Uh, Also, this Greek word can be translated hasten. It has the idea of fast. Do this repetitively. Do this quickly. And there's also another word, uh, earnestness, that you could write next to this. That's what diligence is here. Be, Be doing this fast, speedily, with diligence, with earnestness. And then he says, Add to your faith. So you have faith because you're born again. And then he gives you these characteristics. You ready? Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge self-control, self-control perseverance, perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. So let's knock these down one by one, especially if you're taking notes. Very important to understand. First of all, you add to your faith virtue. Virtue, righteous excellence. This is Paul telling young Timothy to live your life above reproach. Add to your life a righteous excellence. This word speaks of a moral excellency. There is a morality that comes with following Jesus Christ. And it is contrary to the ways of this culture. It speaks of having good actions, having courage and fortitude. So add to your faith virtue. Live a life of righteous excellence. To virtue, add knowledge. This is righteous information. So you're going to have the word righteous in all of these. Righteous information, right? If we're going to seek God, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, this is part of what it looks like. You want to learn how to seek God and his righteousness? Well, add to your faith, number one, virtue. Number two, knowledge. This speaks of insight, spiritual insight, spiritual understanding. Our minds can be so cluttered with the filth of this world that we must choose to renew our minds with the purity of God's word, the purity of fellowship, the purity of prayer, the purity of worship. As we learn in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, or excuse me, in verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is not a one-time experience. It's constantly add, add, add. Thirdly, to knowledge, add self-control. This is righteous restraint. So you have righteous excellence, looking for that in your life, righteous information, now righteous restraint. Now we do know that a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So we do know when we yield ourselves to the Spirit of God, even um, by practice, as you submit yourself to the teaching of God's Word today, you are exercising in many ways self-control. And that's a good thing. And it's a good habit to develop. But did you know that you can also choose to control yourself? (laughs) Did you know that? When the Bible speaks of the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet, in 1 Corinthians, it's not saying that the Holy Spirit will always hinder that prophet. It means that you have the ability to make good choices. And the more you make choices of self-control, the more you'll be cooperating with the fruit of the spirit. And you say, well, what's the difference, Ed? I don't understand. When is it my choice and when is the Spirit's choice? What difference does it make? 
Live in self-control. Say no to sin. Don't go somewhere. Don't look at something. Uh, you know, don't say what's on your mind. Don't post. Don't send the email. Like, just control yourself. Like, you know what it's like. You're right there and you kind of get that thought, I shouldn't be doing this. Then don't do it. And even in prayer, you're like, the Holy Spirit's giving you self-control. It doesn't matter if it's your choice or the Spirit's choice. It doesn't matter. Add it to your faith. Add it to your faith. That could be through submission or it could be by decision. Uh, like, for example, Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And this is key because now I know more that I must be careful to use my life and my decisions wisely by the spirit. And I can participate in a life of self-control. I can say no, either in response to the Holy Spirit, my own decision, or both. I can say no. Add to that, notice the next one, perseverance. This is righteous endurance. Again, you guys are familiar. This word has come up over and over again in Hebrews. This is the word hupomone. The idea behind this is to bear up under a load, to have a supernatural power of God to bear up under, but also because these things have been given to you and I as to, as to you and me as directions, we can choose, we can make a choice. Like some of you, like this seemed to be a word today, you can make a choice, even if it's tonight, you don't quit. Just, but Ed, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do either, but right now you can choose not to quit. You can add to your faith right now. You can add to your self-control right now. You can add to your righteous knowledge right now. I just say, you know what, Lord? I'm going to give it another day. Well, Ed, what happens after tomorrow? Well, it sounds like you may, you're a little worried about tomorrow. Let's just worry about today. And when you get there, listen to my voice. Don't quit. Just pop that into your head. Don't quit. Don't quit. Make me your ringtone. Don't quit. Don't quit. And you're just a stop calling me. Don't quit. You can add this to your life. You can add these things into your life. Righteous endurance. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. God would have us both to experience and extend patience to others who are growing in grace. He would have us to hupomone, to bear up under the weight of the heaviness of life. He is telling people that are on the run, hang in there. That's the, kind of the way we say it. But then that always gives the emphasis about, oh, who's, you know, how are you doing? I'm hanging in there. And you know, that usually means you're barely hanging on. <laughs> but the good news is even if your hand slips, the Lord is going to take care of you. He's going to hold on to you. He's not going to let you slip through. Add perseverance. To that, he says, add godliness. One of the great accusations against Christianity is toward its morality and godliness. I have to say as a church, perhaps our church has been in, uh, a part of that as well, but there can be a, uh, a morality that isn't biblical. You know, it's legalistic. There, there can be things that we've misrepresented the heart of Jesus. There's been times where certainly I have done that and the Lord has to pull me back and just point people to the Lord. But I'm not talking about that. That's our problem. The morality and righteousness of God is not a problem. It's not a problem. 
You may have a problem with the way it was delivered to you. You may have a problem because you have a sin in your life right now that it rubs up against. But the righteousness and morality of God, godliness, we begin all things pertaining to life and godliness. So the things that we know about godliness need to be added to our life. We don't become less godly as we grow older. We should become more godly. There's, godly is, godliness is not perfection. It's righteous living. It's righteous living. When there comes a, t- a point in time when I'm faced with a decision to follow God or follow man, I follow God by choosing to live a life that's pleasing to him, glorifying God. I don't make excuses. I don't operate in a way where I'm mad or resisting people. I'm, I want godliness in my life and I want to add it to my life. I want more godliness, not less. Not only that, notice he says, to godliness we're to add brotherly kindness. This is righteous kindness. This is the same word that's familiar to you. It's the, from the root word we get Philadelphia. It's brotherly love. There's a brotherly kindness to this. And this helps us in all these areas of our life from becoming harsh and insensitive to those around us that are a little bit behind us or need more maturity or don't know as much as we do or we disagree with. Brotherly kindness truly helps us to be patient with each other. Especially when we're being attacked, especially when things are happening from within, especially when there's defection, when there's difficulty, there's false teaching. Man, we need more brotherly kindness in the body of Christ, not less. And it's not walking around, look at how self-controlled I am. Look at how I've never quit and I'm so godly. What's your problem? No, 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 no. Brotherly kindness. This is goodness. It has the, it has the, the idea of goodness, like in its genuine form add it to your life. And then what does he say at the end? To brotherly kindness, love. And he could have added, he could have started with that. He could say, just live a life of agape love. But Peter is a very practical man, not quite as practical as James, but he was nonetheless a very practical man. And he anticipated by the Holy Spirit, hey, how do I do that? How do I do this? And these are some of the steps you can take right away. How do I live a godly life? How do I follow Christ? What are the next steps? If you just took this section and prayed it in your life for the next 30 days, you will change. You don't need an explanation. You don't need to rehear the Bible study. If you just took verses 5 all the way through verse, um, verse 9, God would bless you and develop its, these things in your life. Because notice the result. The result is in verse 8. For if these things are yours and abound, and how do they abound? Because you're adding them, adding them, adding them. It's not a one-time thing. This is your life as a believer. If these are yours and abound, here's the benefits. These are the promises, precious promise. Here's promise number one. You will neither be barren, promise number two. You will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that so important? Why is it so important to be knowledgeable in Jesus Christ? Well, Peter just said that we've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And you're like, well, how do I know? How do I know who Jesus is? Well, not only do you read his stories through the gospels, but you begin to live out these Christian virtues in your life. And if these are yours, you're not gonna be stumbled. You're not gonna be unfruitful. The fruit of the spirit will be yours because in a very real way, these are the fruit of the Spirit. And you know, when you 
or feasting on the goodness of God, you want more. You're not coming to me after service with a list of all the things you've done for God. You just want more from God. You're not going to come and go, look how much I've, you know, look, Ed, I took you up on 30 days and here are the 30 things that God has done in my life. Now, you may want to give a testimony in such a way, and it reminds me, we should have a testimony night here very soon, where you can give testimony to the goodness of God in your life with your church family. But it's not going to be the motive of trying to impress me. It's not going to be the motive of, oh, man, look how much of a better believer. Those that come with a real testimony are saying, look what God has done in my life. Ed, you were right because the Bible is right. And I believe God's word. You told me to memorize that scripture. God used it two days later. You, you explained to me what self-control looked like. And I've been all battling. Is this from the Lord? Not from the Lord. But I just decided to make good decisions. Oh, really? And it blessed you. Yeah, it blessed me. I know it's good. It's because it says right here, add to your life, self-control. It's just the outgrowing of a life and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And you wonder, man, how am I making these good decisions? Well, the Spirit of God is in you. And if these are yours, you're going to see fruit. If these are yours, you're going to see vibrancy. You're going to see life. Three things you're going to see. Let me restate it for you. Three things you're going to see as you're not unfruitful and you are not barren in your walk with the Lord. Number one, you're going to have a deeper love for God. Number two, you're going to have a deeper love for the brethren. And thirdly, you're going to have a deeper love for the lost. You're going to live out exactly what Jesus said. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I broke the neighbor into two categories, believers and unbelievers. We're all neighbors. We're all neighbors. Your life will be solid. You won't falter. You won't stumble. But if they're not in your life, if you blow off another Bible study and you don't really take it to heart and really pray through it, then your life is going to be so limited. You'll be quenching the spirit of God in your life. A lack of these things, notice he says, here's what happens, verse nine. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Circle that word. This is an interesting word. It certainly does mean short-sighted. It means not being able to see long-term, not being able to see eternity. It does mean short-sighted, but also one of the definitions for this word, and I want everybody to do this. So go ahead and put your Bibles down, put everything down, take your glasses off. All right, you guys listening, if you're driving, don't do this. Do it later. So knowing this on the radio, take your glasses off. So first of all, everyone took their glasses off. You can't see to begin with. All right, so now you're starting to begin short-sightedness. But everyone has perfect vision. We all know 2020, 2015, we all get it. You can see better than us. Even those of you, I want you to squint your eyes so that you can barely see. Squint your eyes. Now, I can't see you at all, so you're just trusting you're doing it. And you're thinking, this is really dumb, Ed. Yeah, but you'll remember it forever. Squint your eyes because that's what happens in your life. Put your glasses back on, open your eyes. That's the difference. You can see clearly or you can see short-sighted. It's your choice. It's your choice. You can see clearly. You can see distance. Spiritually, you can see up ahead or those that lack these things, you're short-sighted. Look, even to blindness. Circle that word blindness right next to it. Blind. That's what it is. We have a sister in the fellowship here who's lived with blindness for many years. If you want to know her perspective, I'm sure if you asked her, 
and she was ready to share, she'd share her perspective with you. But blindness, you circle that word spiritually, you know what that means? Self-deceived. Self-deceived. You don't see, hear, or believe the truth. And then you live your life according to a lie. And the worst part of that is self-deception is you believe the lie is actually a truth. That's how far you. And thirdly, you forget that you were cleansed from his old sin, from your old sins. You forget you're born again. You start living like an unbeliever. Is it possible for a believer to live like an unbeliever? Answer that, church. Is it possible for a believer to live like an unbeliever? Yeah. And it breaks my heart every time I hear or see it or watch it. Sometimes guys don't recover from it. Sometimes kids don't recover from it. Sometimes it just reveals that they weren't believers all along. And it's painful. So he says, in light of that, and we're going to close here in verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, same word, be even more earnest be, with speed, with an urgency, be more diligent to make your call and election sure. Because if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Remember for a second here before we leave, Peter is speaking to those who seem to have gone through a dry spell in their life. They've been affected by their surroundings. They've been affected from the outward persecution. Who isn't? We're just now finding out, coming in a few years, just how affected we have been. Just how hard it has been living in this world that's upside down like never before. They're just now beginning to see. They're just now beginning to watch and deal with the effects that we all just kind of got through, got through, got through. But now as things are slowing down or turning corners and such, we're just now beginning to see that many believers during this last year or so have been fruitless. Many believers have had great difficulty larger than the world's problems. Many believers have been living in discouragement and deep depression. And one of the reasons it's become worse is a simple misapplication of this text. So to the yous that are downcast, add to your faith. To you that are depressed, add to your faith. To you that are angry, add to your faith. To you that are frustrated, add to your faith. To you that are on the run because of great discouragement, great persecution, add to your faith. To those of you that are thinking it shouldn't be this way, add to your faith. Do you see uselessness in your life today? Do you see barrenness? Have you forgotten all that Jesus has done and continues to do? Are you asking right now, am I still saved? If that's where you are, then ask yourself the question, am I saved? And ask yourself the question in the presence of God. Have your Bible open and ask God to make your calling an election. The election speaking of your relationship with God. We emphasize many times the choosing you making a choice to follow Jesus. And I do believe you make a choice to follow Jesus, but it's not 
before God has chosen you. You're responding to what God has done in your life. So make that choice of God sure. And this is something I want to draw out. Maybe I'll develop it a little more in our next study, but it's enough to say, because we were talking about this in our pastor's meeting today, of how to deal with some of the difficult sins that are in our culture today. But more than, more than that, how to, difficult, how to deal with people that are caught up in these difficult sins. Because they can be offensive and they can be hard and it's not right. You know, it's just so much things. There's so many things. It's just not right. It's not right. How, why should I have to bend the way I talk to them? Because they're pressing this on me. I'll tell you why you should change the way you talk to them. So you can reach them with the love of Jesus. That's why. So that you can be a tool in the hands of God. Yeah, I know. It's, just, it's, it's like a wild, wild west out there right now. Culturally, morally, like it's a free for all. And Jesus loves each and every one of them and died for them. Don't be too forgetful, those of you that got saved later in life, where you were then the Lord chose you. And how happy you were that he delivered you. And I believe those that are caught in sin today can be delivered by the love of Jesus. So let me just share it with you. Maybe I'll develop it a little bit more. But when you follow the ministry of Jesus, you will notice that he was very, very gentle and careful with those that were afflicted by their own sins. He was very careful with them. Just like the Bible says in Matthew 12, 20, a bruised reed he will not break. And when you watch that throughout his life, Smoking flax, he won't quench. A woman caught, I mean, in the very act of adultery, which was just a very difficult scene. It's not as clean as you might think it is. Very difficult, very ugly, very nasty. Very demoralizing to this woman. No matter what she was caught up in, she did not deserve to be treated that way. Period. End of story. And they brought her right into the presence of Jesus. He was gentle. He never skirted the truth with her. Never ignored the truth gentle, gracious. Others, the religious were ready to stone her. Jesus was ready to release her and forgive her in truth. But with the religious rulers, they, those who said they knew but didn't really know anything, he was stern, strict, and rebuked them. There's a whole chapter in the book of Matthew of rebuke, whoa, 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 out of the mouth of Jesus. Toward who? The religious hypocritical, hypercritical, legalistic, disconnected men that said they represented God and lived a life of lies. And it wasn't until Jesus called, can you imagine what it would have been like as Jesus came and called them out where all the common people were going, we've been waiting for this day. We thought it was us. We thought it, we were wrong. We, we tried what they said. We want to lead our families. We live that way. We fall, but it just, they were just so mean-spirited. It was just never enough. We, we weren't able to ever live up to their standards. But then we'd watch them, and they would live a different way than we did. And then Jesus would come along and go, you know what? You know those guys? You know, they, they sit in Moses' seat of authority. You, you listen to what they say, because they are accurate in the, what they were saying, but you don't ever do what they do. Because their application of it was so wrong. It was, Jesus changed his style depending on who he's dealing with. He never sinned. He, he never failed, never faltered. But, but he did change his approach. And I think we as a church would do well as we learn different approaches to minister to people that are caught up in sin. 
And you know, most militant, most upset, most difficult ones, they, they, I know they don't care. And I know, I know they want to do great harm. I know that. The Lord will protect us. He's faithful. He's faithful to, to stand by us. But that doesn't mean, you know, as we were learning in Nahum chapter 1 recently in verse 7, uh, the, the Lord is good. We know that the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of trouble. And you know, we think, well, because the Lord's good, we'll never experience trouble. No, that's not what Nahum told. He said, we know that the Lord is good, but just because it's good doesn't mean, and just because you follow him and abide in him doesn't mean that you're going to avoid trouble. But I find a great error among believers today is they just want to avoid trouble. And avoiding trouble avoids the unsaved. It avoids the messiness of what sin has done to people. It makes the church sound like this hypercritical, hyper, hyper, you name it. Instead of kind, loving, caring, we'll never compromise the truth. But man, I so want to reach the lost. Man, and if they don't listen to me, I'm going to never have a chance. I want a conversation. I want a conversation. There's even people in our lives, in my life, that as I listen to them, I'm like, I think I want to be more like him. Because I'm listening, like I was listening to a podcast recently, and I'm hearing a brother share some things. I'm hearing a guy share some things, and the pastor that was in, he didn't, he didn't respond. He just let him talk, let him talk. And I'm, I didn't yell at my radio, but I probably raised my voice a little bit. I go, no, answer it, share it. But the purpose was for him to have a dialogue so he was working for the next conversation. You see, the guy he was talking to already knew the truth. He already knew the truth. So now it's like a special surgeon that's going to take the time to go right, take the scalpel at right the specific place. It's not slashing, you know, you know I think I'll do surgery. No, it's like very precise, very specific. What the MRI says, what the everything. We got to do it very carefully here. And I like this about Jesus because that's what he did. That, that he was careful. He was the model of ministry here at Calvary. The model that we follow here. What many people call counseling, we don't call counseling. We're not counselors here. We're not professional counselors. We're not psychologists. We're pastors, lay leaders that have a Bible and we have the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to give you. And the Holy Spirit will help us give us insight. He'll, he'll give us the wisdom we need or not. You know, you may leave the office going, that did not help me at all. Well, then pray. Then pray. It could just be you needed some time to cool off. You needed someone else to be mad at. And now you can leave and just seek the Lord. I can't believe that church. They didn't help me at all. Yeah, it's probably not as bad as you think. If the brother prayed with you and opened the Bible to you, they gave you the best help you could ever receive. It just may take like a thousand times for you to get it. And you know what I found? And I know you're here, so it's not really going to apply to you, but I'm, I can't tell you how many times I've sat with someone, talked with someone, and what they're sharing with me, I'm like, were you in service last Sunday? No, I don't go to church anymore. Man, if you were in service last Sunday, we would not be having this conversation. Because everything you're talking about right now, I spent 45 minutes teaching it. So I'll tell you what, go home, listen to the Bible study, and then call me when you're done. And for the people that take me up on that, they're not super excited about that. That's not like a pretty, I'm giving you the pretty version of it. That's not the pretty version of it. It's usually, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Whatever. Whatever they say. 
But if you take me up on it, if it ever happens, you probably won't call me back. Because you will learn the Holy Spirit through his word without a man. You don't need anybody. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the word of God in you. And yeah, maybe a Bible study. But once the Bible study takes you on the right path, the spirit takes over. And you've got the wisdom that you need. You have the same wisdom that I have. New King James, New Living Translation, ESV. You've got it. I've got it. Maybe in Spanish. Maybe in your language that you speak, speak natively. You have the word of God. Open it. Read it, pray over it, and then do it. And the Lord will be with you. So Father, thank you for the time that we've spent in your word. And I thank you for the, the pattern that Jesus gives. I, I even thank you for my brother who stands as an example to me where he would go a lot farther than I would. And so I have a lot to learn from him. I have a lot to learn how I can be a better communicator and how I could be a better listener. And that's just not as a pastor. I could be a better listener as a husband as a dad, as a friend, as just a brother, uh, as a servant of the Lord, I can be a better communicator, a better listener. So I pray that into my life. I pray that into our church's life. In no way will we ever abandon truth because then we'd have to walk away from you, Jesus. We won't. But our hearts are not to make a point or win an argument. It's to make a disciple and win a soul. That's why we're here. We want to be cooperated. We want to cooperate with you in the work you're doing on the earth today. So help us, God, in our weaknesses. We're just pastors, just men, just women, just uh, lay leaders. You know, we, we just have a Bible and we pray. So oh, it's not enough. No, it is enough. It is enough. Because behind the Bible and behind the prayer is the God who knows all things, who works in us both to do and to will for his good pleasure. May we turn to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.